Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Story time. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. My mother and I saw a bird that followed the car up a mountain road near Maysville, West Virginia. We saw only the tail and the underside of this animal. Its wings were almost as wide as the road. This animal repeatedly flew over the hood of the car as we drove. It did not have a feathered tail, its tail looked long and coiled up. It was dark in color. When we witnessed this I told my mother that it looked like a prehistoric bird. This animal was much larger than a turkey, turkey buzzard, owl, eagle, hawk or any other bird of prey that I have ever seen. It had a broad heavy body. In fact it looked so large that it had trouble getting airborne and it used the path of the road to get up in the air. This bird looked large enough to easily take down a dog or deer-sized animal. I cannot say that it had any man-like features but this was something that both myself and my mother still remember. I have to believe that other people witnessed what we saw and I can see why they called it Mothman. This is a true story. For obvious reasons I can see that people blow it off as untrue but we know the truth. I know another person in Maysville, West Virginia that has described something similar. He explained to me he did not know what it was but it was as big as the highway is wide. Growing up in the woods was something different. Let's get this straight, I'm just an average person growing up in the woods. Well not average, but I am normal to a certain extent. I live out in the wilderness in a large forest reserve in the United States. I've lived with my grandparents with most of my life, I've never really known my parents before this, but nevertheless, to a certain degree it doesn't matter. I live in the middle of the wilderness up here. 
Nowadays my grandparents will be here for a day or two then leave for a day or two. The length in time they stay and go varies but in the summertime I only have a handful of friends that are even remotely able to come hang out with me. I live in a very remote area of the place where I live and all you can see from where I am is mountains and trees. The closest town is around 4 miles away and all it really is is a small shopping center with a general store and such but that's about it, some gas, some food, nothing special. Oftentimes I get the cabin to myself. It's not exactly an old wooden cabin if you're thinking about it. It's actually very nice, it has 4 bedrooms and 3 bathrooms, it's practically a lodge but all it's missing is a garage. Our cars park in a sort of tent, thing. It's just a bunch of wooden poles holding up a sheet metal roof. Because of this, during the winter, we'll often be stuck inside our little cabin for days, weeks, and every once in a while, months. I've learned to go hunting, melt ice into water and basically become self-sufficient for my grandfather. Going to school in this part of the country is kind of like it's optional. For the sake of keeping us secure, I'll use different names for my friends in future stories so don't try and come find us. The woods are a strange place, it's like they're their own giant, sentient being. My friends Thomas and James would occasionally head down to a nearby creek a few miles from my house. It was a large creek, almost a river, but it was nothing we couldn't handle. Oftentimes during the summer we'd go out for hours without our cell phones and go explore. We all had cell phones but there's practically no reception out there unless you're directly inside one of the houses, so most of the time they were just useless. Thomas and James were my best friends ever since I could practically think. We all lived within a 6 mile radius, a tiny distance considering the size of most of the town. Thomas lived closer to me so he'd often come over if I was stuck at home. More often than not we'd sit down in the lounge room and just watch old movies that my grandparents had. Our cabin had a large glass window across the front wall, so you could always see into the distant wilderness. One time, a few years back Thomas, my friend David and Jasmine were over. It was raining and my grandparents were out for a few days. David and I became close since he moved in that year. I had only recently gotten my license so it was a dream. It was storming outside so I just planned to let David and the others stay the night. It was dark out already, maybe around 10 when the four of us were sitting upstairs in the lounge room watching Stand By Me, one of mine and Thomas's favorite movies. We were watching it when we heard a large clanging nearby the garage area. Originally I shrugged it off as wind blowing over the trash cans or raccoons tipping them over until I heard the crash of metal against the building. Despite the rain outside I knew the wind outside wasn't nearly that powerful to lift the trash can up to smash it into the cabin. I got up and managed to convince Thomas to come with me as I walked towards the outside. Before I went downstairs, I entered my grandparents' room and took the shotgun just in case it was a bear or something. Thomas took the fire poker and walked behind me, scared as a bat when I came to the front door. I looked outside and saw nothing yet. I counted to three before I opened the door to go outside. This wasn't the first time I had to deal with a bear digging through my trash. F bears and shit. Anyway, Thomas and I go outside and scope outside the area. The rain was lighter than I thought it was as the pitch black sky caked the entire yard in darkness. Thomas and I moved forward towards the trash can, I know you're not supposed to keep your finger on the trigger but I'm that moment all I could think about is getting that bear away from me. I hated bears ever since I was young, they scared the shit out of me, but I never felt this fear before. I turned the corner with Thomas and found one of the trash cans lying on the ground. I sighed in relief as Thomas looked shocked, looking past the trash. I noticed this so I asked him what was up. What are you looking at? Don't you see it? See what? The big mother F. Thomas pointed forward at a figure behind the tree line. I squinted to see it clearly and made out the figure of a bony, fur-covered being. I looked over at Thomas, telling him it was just a bear and to come on and go. Thomas looked in shock as he pointed forward. Why is it looking at us like that? I glanced back, being met with yellow, 
glowing eyes from the darkness. I took the shotgun and ran with Thomas back to the house. Before I ran inside, I tripped and shot my gun. It was one of those times where if Thomas wasn't there I wouldn't be here today. Thomas stopped to pull me up as this weird, distorted roar came from the woods. We did it have to exchange words to understand it was coming towards us. I left the shotgun and ran inside. Thomas and I slammed the door shut, hell out of breath as we heard the creature walking around. Thomas told me to go upstairs, get the others, and barricade ourselves in my bedroom. I nodded and quietly went upstairs, doing just that. Thomas met me there shortly after, holding his spare hunting rifle he always brought with him when he came over. We all spent the night in the same bedroom, guarding each other as we heard that thing walking around the cabin over and over again. I fell asleep sometime during the night and woke up the next morning. Going out to the lounge area felt like it was freezing, every window was open. Nothing was stolen, surprisingly, but there was definitely someone, or something, inside of here. Thomas and I went outside that morning and found my grandparents' shotgun sitting on the front stoop, the barrel bent to an impossible angle. I had no excuse for that when my grandparents came home. Oftentimes during the school year, after school our school had a small skiing program where around 40 to 50 kids all got together on a bus or two to go skiing after school. Doing this was one of the few fun options we got to do for extracurricular around here. Our high school was small, maybe only 300 kids total. I know, small town. We only had one elementary school and one middle high school, where grades 6 through 12 all went to the same school. Often enough, my friends and I would do this during the winter to give us something to do. We took a bus around 30 miles to a nearby campus with a large skiing hill in the area. The town was an entire campus town, everyone was connected to the college in some way around there. Often. James and I along with some of our friends determining the circumstances would all go skiing together. The mountain wasn't all too big, but the trails were certainly long, each run would take 10 to 15 minutes to reach the bottom. On this particular occasion I was with my friend James, not a lot of my friends liked skiing, so often enough it was just James and I. It was a few years ago when we decided to go with the bus after school. After a relatively short ride we got off the bus and got our equipment on. We skied for a couple hours with little event. It was just beginning to get dark when James revealed he had a little bit of dope on him. In my high school years we were what you would call the stoners. James would always get weird shipments, usually just weed but it would get us off our ass. James pulled me aside and told me he wanted to smoke a joint or two and asked me to come with him. Me. Being a teenager that wanted to get high as well, agreed to come with. We skied off the path a little ways until we were in a place where we thought we wouldn't be noticed. It was slightly past the ski mountain border so we knew no one would come looking for us. James took out the wrapping paper and rolled us both a joint. We made sure we weren't going to be seen so we took off our skis and sat under a little overhang of leaves and logs that we made the previous winter. We began talking about what teenagers talk about, girls, video games, our home life, all that shit. As it got darker James pulled out some candles and lit them, getting us a little bit of light to wrap more weed. After a while we decided that we'd finish up the last joint and head back since it would be around an hour when the bus left back to the school. James and I began packing up when an odd noise came from the woods. It didn't sound like from an animal or anything, but more robotic, like a broken drill on a low battery. James caught on quicker than I did, alerting me to the noise. If we were sober we would have most likely hightailed it out of there as soon as we heard it. But like dumb high teenagers, I thought it would be a good idea to go find the noise. James agreed to come with me as we had already packed up what we had and set it on the path. James and I both took a candle walking off towards the noise. The closer we got, the more prominent the noise became, although never growing louder. We walked further into the woods maybe 50 feet when we realized we must have passed it as the noise became more soft. We began searching around for the noise using our candle light. 
Back then we never brought our phones on such journeys, we always just brought our watches and wallets to go explore. James walked close towards this evergreen tree as suddenly the snow below it suddenly fell. James fell into a tree well as I heard him yelp in surprise. I ran over and looked down and I shit you not there was just a square hole. It must have been a trap door as I looked closer, seeing the reflective patch on James's jacket. I called out to James to see if he was alright. James replied for me to come down there. I know, straight out of a horror movie, but in our messed up minds we thought oh cool, a trapdoor in the woods. I obviously obliged, sliding down into the slot in the floor. It was around the size of a kitchen sink, so it was a tight squeeze in. I dropped down with my candle as the room seemed to light up more. It looked like a bunker as all the shelves and such were entirely devoid of anything. That's when I heard James call me over towards a small steel door along the side. James had a concerned look on his face as I walked over, peering through the window. I was met with only a partially lit room with a single candle sitting inside. It looked like a meat locker room with several rotting animal corpses hanging on meat hooks. I'm so glad the door was shut cause I could only imagine the smell. By then I was sobering up a bit more and realized how messed up this was. I called over to James that we should leave when I hear the familiar buzzing again. I look over and see James rushing back towards the hatch, climbing out as fast as he can. Seeing James react like that is rare, usually he was the calmest person in the group, so seeing him run, so afraid, I chased after him scrambling after him. The two of us ran towards our skiing equipment up on the ridge where James was hastily putting on his skis. I asked him what happened that spooked him like that. What James told me shook me up. You know how there was that whirring sound coming from there? Yeah? Well, I saw what was making the noise, it was a camera. Oh shit. That's not it? Then what? It was a motion camera, something was down there with us. That sentence still resonates in my mind. We weren't the only ones down there, and I'm so glad I didn't find out what was down there with us. I know it's not the scariest story out there, but it's something that stuck out to me. Maybe I'll even go back if I can get over the fear of it. It was a couple years ago anyway, and the ski hill has since shut down that section of the mountain due to unsafe hazards. A year ago, it could be a good bonding exercise for James and I to explore since after James got into urban exploring despite the terror he felt there. This next story came from my grandfather when I was just a little boy. My grandpa is usually a very reserved man but occasionally when he has a few drinks down the hatch he'll open the hatch a little bit for me to peer inside. This story happened one fall evening when I was little. I'll tell this story from his perspective so it's easier on the writing. I shit you not we weren't expecting to find anything out in there. Even though I know there's weird shit going on around here I know it's unlikely to run into that stuff. I went out for a hike that day at noon. It was the type of fall where everything was beginning to turn red and yellow but still warm during the day. God, it was a nice day. I went down the hiking path alone as I did every year, it was maybe a 3 hour trail, so I brought everything I needed, some snacks, a compass, water, my walkman and my walking stick. I went down the path with relatively no incident until I was maybe three-fourths of the way down. Most years I'd see the occasional deer or fox or such, but this time was different, it felt as if everything in the woods had cleared out, not even a bird chirping or crickets, just the occasional breeze from the trees. I was down a particularly steep part of the trail, heading down through the trees and winding the path a little when I looked over and saw this bone pyramid. I shit you not it looked like someone had spent hours making sure it all stuck. On top was most likely a moose skull, but it was odd. All I can remember was the antlers were just weird, bent in an odd shape and the skull was just built wrong. It was too long and slender to be a normal moose. I saw this and began to move quicker. There was no debris or anything on the thing so I knew whoever or whatever did this was nearby. I moved quicker, not rushing but I was unsettled nevertheless. Now before I go any further let me just say my family is a firm believer in the creatures of the night, 
like Bigfoot, the Wendigo, Chupacabras. Now that that's out of the way, let me continue. I believe what I found was some sort of ritualistic belonging in the woods. As I continued on I began hearing this sort of clicking sound. Like someone clapping two sticks together. The more I walked towards the car the more prominent it became. I started to get freaked out and by now I didn't keep my headphones in just in case I was being followed by something. The more I came down the path the louder the clicking became when I saw the opening of the woods into the parking lot. I rushed over, glad to be near the safety of my car. I rushed out and threw my stuff in the car, never looking back as the clicking remained from the tree line. When I started my car I looked up and saw this odd looking silhouette of a man, but its figure was just wrong. It was lumpy, with a large pot of flesh on its arm from what I could see. The more I looked closer the more fleshy it became. It didn't have eyes, I can remember that, I don't remember how long I stared at it but it was probably only a few seconds before the shock wore off. I threw my car into drive when I saw its jaw unhinge. It reminded me of an ant eating something, or like a predator mouth from that one movie as it made the same clicking sound I heard earlier. Before I could think my foot hit the gas and I was on my way home. I know it isn't the most dramatic ending but it was something that made me realize that the woods aren't always a wonderful, safe place, and it's the reason why I never travel alone. I'm happy to share more stories if people are still interested. I know it's a lot to ask for but I'm happy that by telling people some of these stories people are interested in this topic, I'll tune in later and see if I should tell more stories. If anyone has any questions about these things I'll be happy to answer your questions. During one summer I got my first job at a nearby Dairy Queen in town. I met a couple of my friends from there, especially this one girl from Amber. Amber was the type of girl that never really grew out of her horse girl phase but instead adapted to the outdoorsy lifestyle. I was 16 at the time and she was 20, she told me how she came from South Dakota and wanted to live out in the country and discovered our small town and loved it. She went to the college campus nearby, a few towns over and Amber and I became great friends despite the age difference. During one winter Amber decided to let me stay the night out at her dorm. My grandparents were in Missouri at this time so it was easy to stay. And before you think what you're usually going to think she had a boyfriend and I was interested in another girl from my school. I was lying on Amber's bed, watching her play on her Xbox when Amber's roommate, Caitlin, came into the room. Caitlin immediately asked if she could take her to McDonald's since by now the buses around town had shut down and since she didn't have a car. After some negotiations Amber finally agreed and I hopped down to go join them. We drove down into town at that time, it was around 2 in the morning. I'm not gonna lie I was on some stuff when we went out so before we pulled into the parking lot in McDonald's I got out my eye drops and let them go inside before me. I hung back as the two entered McDonald's, we would have gone into the drive-thru during this time the building was undergoing reconstruction so the drive-thru area was closed. I finished up the eye drops and got out of the car when suddenly I blinked and I was back in the dorm. I'm looking down, watching Amber playing Halo on her Xbox when I was filled with shock. I tried to chalk it up to me being tired and imagining things when all of a sudden Caitlin walked in again. The entire ordeal played out again, Caitlin nagging Amber to go to McDonald's which went on for a minute before Amber agreed. Amber then walked up to me and asked if I wanted to come with her. Me, being weirded out of my mind, said no. I don't know what happened, maybe it was a brain f up or something and this isn't particularly scary but it's definitely something that has messed with my head. Another story I have is from my cousin that lives in Maine. Every once in a while either my grandparents would go visit my aunt and uncle in Maine with my cousin, Mike. Mike was a few years older than I was and grew up also in a remote town up in northern Maine. This story is from when my cousin graduated high school and for his vacation before starting college he decided to go on the 100-mile hike with his girlfriend, Sam, and his friend Aaron with his girlfriend Piper. The four were all outdoorsy people where they all agreed to pack their gear and head out. They packed two weeks worth of supplies in their backpack, 
had a friend drive them to the head of the trail and drop them off. The first few days in the woods were relatively uneventful although having encounters with a fox on their second night. On the fifth day Piper begins telling the group that she's been hearing footsteps walking around the campsite during the night when everyone was asleep. She assumed it was one of us until we told her in the morning we had all slept through the night. We originally played it off as a raccoon or bear or something when we found a human footprint in the mud. Or at least that's what they thought. A bit uneasy, the four of them quickly packed up and headed off. Another night went by uneventfully. On the seventh night when they were just getting ready to stop walking and set up camp Mike saw a weird creature lying on the ground. The body was half decomposed with maggots squirming around it. Its skull and part of its chest was exposed. Its skull was almost like an elephant's skull if you've ever seen one. Elephant skulls have a large hole in the center to make it look like a cyclops when all the flesh is eaten away. Mike tried to write it off as a moose with a facial deformity when Aaron noticed that all the legs were missing except one, which had almost like a human foot. Upon further inspection it looked as though a large human foot had been burned on as a replacement for a hoof or whatever was originally there. The group decides to head a little further during the darkness and to not talk about it for the rest of the trip to not scare them. By now Sam was shaking in fear and wanted to leave right away. Mike and the others set up camp a few miles away on a ridge overlooking a relatively small lake surrounded by wilderness. Sam and Piper were having trouble sleeping so Mike and Aaron took shifts staying up to watch the campsite and keep the campfire lit while they slept, which seemed to ease them. Around what most likely was 3 to 4 in the morning Aaron was on watch when he hears a twig snap in the woods. Aaron looks up and sees this huge humanoid figure just standing in a nearby clearing maybe 200 feet away. Aaron woke Mike up to look at the creature and as soon as Mike wakes up the yellow eyes appear on the creature and darts off back into the woods. Mike and Aaron stayed up until the sun rose, hearing weird grunting sounds coming from the woods every couple of minutes or so. Aaron is convinced that it's Bigfoot while Mike believes it's someone messing with them. But it wouldn't make sense, they're still around 30 miles from the end of the journey and it wouldn't make sense for someone to just wait out there just to F with someone. The moment the sun rose the group packed up, Mike and Aaron both agreed to not say anything to not scare the girls. The next night was relatively uneventful as they all decided that they would finish the trail by the next day. That morning they wake up to find that the same dead animal carcass they had seen days prior had been laying on the path forward where the end of the trail would be. The group, understandably freaked the F out, decide to jog most of the way back. After walking a while, the group is tired and Piper says she's gonna go take a leak further in the woods. The group gets out some food for lunch when Piper comes rushing back, she has a shocked expression on her face. We ask her what's wrong when she explains for us to come see with ourselves. Our stuff is all out so we decide to leave our stuff behind to go look. Stupid, I know. But they head off just over a small ridge and find this deer carcass literally turned inside out. It literally looked as if someone took a small slit into the deer, and used an ungodly force to flip the deer inside out, to have all the organs spill out like a meat slushy. Sam immediately throws up from the smell as the rest of the group look in shock. The group immediately heads back to find in the minute or two they were gone their stuff had been raided through. Mike decided that this was enough and that they were getting out of there tonight. Mike packed up what was left, since a lot of their food was gone and got the group to head on forward. The group reached the end of the trail when a forest ranger immediately greeted them. The forest ranger said that the trail was closed for the time being since they had found some hazards the group went home as Aaron did some research, apparently a dead body was found in a creek a few miles and completely mutilated, with multiple body parts missing. All that was left was the head and one of her thighs which were strung up on a tree. Let's just say that most of the others aren't that big of long distance camping anymore. Aaron recently tried looking up the original news report though but was unable to find the article, sometimes things are covered up because if people knew that shit I don't think anyone would ever do another journey like that. Growing up in a small town is a strange ordeal.
Everyone seems to know each other very well and the only new people we get are people on long road trips or family coming to visit us. Like I said I live in a very small town, yet I love it. Towards the west end of town we have some farms growing. Although most are cattle farms there are the occasional place where they grow corn, wheat, whatever they can really. There's this old farmhouse that had been abandoned since the 1970s after a supposed murder that happened there. Although it's most likely that the family moved out and that's what rumor spread. Anyway, when I was little, my cousin Mike and a few of my friends would come over and we'd hop on our bikes. I remember this was a special occasion since Mike was there, this is the reason we went over there. Mike was the leader of our small gang when he was around and everybody listened no question. We went down the dirt path and Mike stopped the bike. It was around noon when Mike spotted the farmhouse and I swear to God I can still remember the smug look growing across his face as an idea popped into his head. Mike told us that we were playing hide and seek in the house since we didn't have much of anything else to do. James and I reluctantly agreed, we were around 8 to 9 at the time so we didn't have any judgment against adventure quite at that age. The drew straws and eventually I was the one that originally had to seek. I sighed and began to count to 90 as I knew they both ran to the farmhouse. 90 seconds passed as I opened my eyes. I smiled as I saw the door wide open to the farmhouse. Those idiots had forgotten to shut it I thought to myself as I jogged towards the house. I reached the front stoop, heading inside. I remember the boards were so old I thought every step I took the floor would collapse. I headed inside, seeing the house on the inside. To the right was a staircase while to the left lead to a living room. Straight ahead lead to a hallway to the kitchen then towards the back door. I smirked, knowing Mike and James enough to know they'd hide together in the same place. I looked forward as a creak came from down the hallway. I saw the basement door slowly moving in the wind. I smirked, knowing that they were leaving breadcrumbs for me to find. The basement was dark. I didn't even try searching for a light since I knew it definitely wouldn't have any power. Downstairs I heard a dripping sound. It was like a sink had been left on slightly as the water slowly drained out. I stopped at the bottom of the stairs, holding my breath, listening for any breathing. It was dark, I could barely see 5 feet in front of me and the only light down there came from the upstairs. The concrete basement was cold, in fact, the entire basement was entirely cold from what I remember. I began feeling a large anxiety from the basement that I couldn't explain. I listened in and heard a soft breathing noise. By then I knew someone had been hiding down there and I was gonna find them. I called out to them, telling them I knew they were there and I was gonna find them. I started walking towards the breathing, avoiding anything lying around in the basement. I bumped into a piano and accidentally set off a few keys, which scared the shit out of me, keep this in mind because this will come up later. I reached the back wall, the breathing having gotten louder. I moved to my right, hearing the breathing louder. The breathing felt warmer as I got closer. I reached out to touch them, calling out to the person when the breathing just suddenly stopped. I didn't hear movement or anything but I continued moving. I reached the end of the wall finding nothing. I felt odd when suddenly the piano began playing softly. At first I thought it was just in my head, my mind playing tricks on me. I focused in as the music began playing more violently. By now I knew that this wasn't normal and I began moving back towards the stairs in a panic when the breathing returned, a hot breath on the back of my neck. I screamed as a hand gripped my shoulder, squeezing it softly as I ran. The hand let go as I heard a large crash behind me, like a moose slamming through objects to get to a destination. My legs felt like jello and my eyes began to water as I climbed up the stairs and burst outside. I laid on the ground, sobbing as Mike and James walked over, asking where I had been. I was confused, I was downstairs for only around 5 minutes but they told me I had been missing for 4 hours. I was confused when they told me they had been looking for me for 3 hours but never checked the basement. When I asked why they told me that the door had been locked from the inside. And when they asked if anyone was in there, all that returned was silence. 
These are just some stories that are from my childhood and such. These were originally three different posts but they were deleted. I'll be happy to tell more stories if people are interested. I'm a park ranger in the United States government, and I deal with a lot of strange things. In fact, just this last week, my dispatch got a call from a woman. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. And who was hiking along with her boyfriend. They had seen something they could not explain along the Grizzly Ridge Trail. She described it as an animal that was bipedal, walking on two legs. They were able to see its arms and legs, but they reported it did not have a tail or any fur. I never heard of anything like that before, so I was called out to investigate this sighting myself. Well, I found something alright. I saw something walking across the stream with one leg in the air, almost like it was kind of walking weirdly. It would take these giant strides with one leg in the air, followed by the other, almost like it was bounding across the stream. Maybe it was a coyote at first, but everything about this just did not look right. The reason why I thought this was due to the very wolf-like appearance of the head and eyes that appeared to almost glow in the moonlight. It was roughly 6 to 7 feet tall if I remember right. It was pretty dark. I thought I was seeing things at first, but after making sure this thing was real, I pulled out my G-22 and shot at it. The thing did not even flinch. I tried to aim for its heart or lungs, but the rounds just seemed to bounce off its body. My first thought was this had to be some sort of military experiment gone wrong. The thing just stared at me, but it left after that. I'm not ashamed to admit that I was too afraid to go back into the woods for days after, even though it's my job. This month, things have been really crazy around here. Even animal control had been called out to deal with a pack of canines or something in the park. Ever since mid-June, they would be hunting livestock all over town, and now they've entered here. I just can't get what I saw out of my head, though. It haunts me every minute of the day. Up until now, these strange things had only seemed to be isolated, but were they? Now, I'm hearing reports of these things happening and popping up everywhere. Maybe there's a connection. It was a warm night in Texas, and I was on my usual route as a professional trucker, transporting with logs from one town to another. The endless stretch of highway had always been a familiar sight. As I drove along the deserted highway, my headlights cutting through the darkness, I noticed two glowing lights in the distance on the road ahead. Intrigued, I thought it might be another vehicle or maybe even a couple of deer crossing the road. I didn't think much of it at first and continued driving, expecting the lights to disappear as I got closer. However, as I approached, the lights didn't fade away. In fact, they seemed to grow brighter and more defined. My curiosity turned into a sense of unease as I realized that the glowing lights were coming from a creature standing in the middle of the road. At first glance, the creature seemed human-like, but its size was something I had never encountered before, standing at an imposing height of 8 to 9 feet or maybe even taller. Its eyes were the most striking feature, large and shaped like those of a cat, unlike anything I had ever seen before. The creature's entire being was so black and dark that it seemed to absorb the very light around it. As I got closer, I noticed what appeared to be a cloak covering its body, blending seamlessly with a dark toboggan-like cap that obscured most of its head. The creature was incredibly skinny, almost emaciated, and its eyes shimmered with an eerie shine. Strangely, it seemed to be standing motionless, staring straight ahead, as if focused on something intently. I pulled my truck to a halt, unable to believe my eyes. 
I had seen my fair share of strange sights during my time on the road, but this was something entirely different. The air around me felt charged with an inexplicable energy, and a chill ran down my spine. Suddenly, as if sensing my presence, the creature turned its head toward me. It was as though it could see through the darkness and directly into my soul. Fear gripped me, and I felt a primal instinct to escape this inexplicable encounter. Without a moment's hesitation, I slammed my foot on the gas pedal, hoping to put as much distance between me and the creature as possible. My truck roared to life, and I sped away with reckless abandon, my heart pounding in my chest. The creature reacted instantly, letting out an ear-piercing shriek and breaking into a fast and unnatural sprint, chasing my truck like a nightmarish zombie from the movies. My heart raced, and the adrenaline coursed through my veins as I pushed my truck to its limits, desperate to escape the horrifying encounter behind me. I didn't dare look back. I just kept driving until the glowing lights were nothing but a fading memory. As I left that nightmarish scene behind, I couldn't help but wonder what I had just witnessed. Was it some otherworldly being, an alien, or something beyond my understanding? I had no answers, but one thing was certain, I would never return to that road again. I worked as a technician in 2001 for the Joint Warfare Analysis Center in Suffolk, Virginia. That's not to say that I was a government employee because all of us there were contractors or civil service personnel. I'd been with the company for four years by this time and had risen to the position of a security systems specialist. My job was basically to work with a sensitive compartment information facility, a secure and sensitive room where information is handled. In the case, we were working with US intelligence assets in theater during the lead-up to Operation Enduring Freedom the invasion of Afghanistan. One of the things I saw during my time was a report generated by some assets on the ground in Afghanistan, having to do with an assimilation of alien life. I've heard all the same complaints that you people say about how the government lies for the people for nefarious purposes. Well, I'm going to divulge a little bit more to that. I was the second one in the morning, usually arriving at seven hours after having already dropped off my son. I always came back in the door of the facility to the security checkpoint. All visitors were expected to enter through there, and it was always under video surveillance 24-7. The main door from the outside wall next to the parking lot was unlocked during my arrival, and there would be two workers standing guard on either side of the door. Nobody was allowed to stand at the door alone and both members of the entry team were required to swipe their badges for the reader before the door would unlock. This is due to the things that come in this section of the building. We got things from the NSA, CIA, and military, among other things. Things that civilian eyes are never allowed to see. I think this was some kind of alien technology or biological entity the military picked up during their numerous operations over there. We received some interesting stuff during my time there, like a live alien foreign specimen of an unidentified species. Although I never saw it myself, nobody was allowed in the room when the specimen was being worked on. In the security section of our facility, there were always at least three technicians with access to that room. The specimen came on a military cargo flight, although they never told us which one. It was kept in a large sealed container which had been airtight welded shut. Inside the container, there was this alien being. The military brass told us it was an alien life form, but none of us newer guys ever really saw it. The specimen was roughly four feet tall, humanoid, with a large head. It was kind of broad across the shoulders. Nobody ever told us what type of being it was. It was just an alien conscripted by the military to be studied for battlefield applications. The one thing people did tell us about this stuff was that the brass didn't know exactly how it worked, but that we were to lock down the facility and let nobody in or out under any circumstances until they did know how it worked. We were all a bunch of 20-something technicians, so our contact with the higher-level brass was pretty much limited to the briefings they would give us just about how to set up each new artifact or specimen that we got. During the initial setup, 
One of the guys from upstairs showed us how to set up a safe room for this particular specimen. They told us that it was a biological entity and that there were always ways to keep it safe. There was a large bay with several smaller rooms inside that we could use for this exact purpose. The safe room was a large sealed cube with several layers of sheet metal on the outside and airtight welded doors on the inside. It was designed to keep things in and out. This room would be used for any specimen with immediate high-level containment requirements. During the brief, they told us that the entity inside could very easily escape if we're not extremely careful on how it was handled. They stressed that we were not able to open the doors for any reason, and under no circumstances could anybody be inside with it. I think this was because it could emit some kind of energy that would open the door if left unattended. They also said something about how it's programmed to escape. The way the room worked is that they would slide one of those large square biohazard suits through a chute on the outside of the door. We would then have to put on these suits, go inside with the large toolbox, and slide the inner door shut from the inside before sealing it from the inside with a large metal brace. The toolbox would be used to open a panel on the inside door and access the locking mechanism of the room. The biohazard suits were used for this because there was no way to ensure the entity could not pass through. The first time I had to go inside was with another guy named Craig. Everybody was still really new at this, and everybody was tense. Nobody knew exactly what to expect. The outside of the room was huge, maybe 20 feet wide by 30 feet long. Craig and I walked into the small antechamber and we could see this large metal brace running horizontally across the door. The safe room itself was built like a vault with several metal walls roughly 18 inches thick. I eased the toolbox to the chute and slid it over to Craig, who was standing near the door inside. Craig slid the inner door shut before fiddling with the locking mechanism for just a few seconds. I closed the small toolbox, opened up the panel inside to reveal a keyhole and slid the brace into place. I closed the door before turning the key over in the lock. The room was now very, very quiet. We would receive several more live specimens of beings sent directly from the military, Pentagon, and other branches that were housed in the same complex. By the time I was done with this job, we had nearly a dozen of these rooms and an assortment of other artifacts from around the world. Most of the specimens were pretty bizarre, even for a freak like me. I saw some things that you just can't unsee. They would take everything away in the middle of the night while we were sleeping, usually while I was still up drinking because after seeing those things, nothing can make you sleep. This complex continued its operation until the very beginning of 2003, January, where they were moving the complex over to France. Unless you were okay with transferring, you'd have to find other means of work. I declined the invitation to go there, so I have no idea what's become of that facility. But I'm sure from what I've been told by some guys that did decide to move over there, that the facility is much larger and houses many more things. They even joke about it and call it the little house of due to some of the specimens they have over there. I have kids and family, so I can't really talk about all the specimens I saw, just in case I ever get threatened or my family gets threatened. Sorry, these memories of working there still stand out to me as some of the craziest times. I remember the time when I was in second grade, returning to school from my lunch hour. As I walked near a clump of trees in a field, I encountered a strange little figure about my own height, standing at just under four feet. The figure had an unusual greenish tone to its skin and was barefoot. Next to it was a round thing from which I assumed the entity had emerged, although I didn't witness this happening. The entity started jabbering at me in a language I couldn't understand. It then took out an object from a belt around its waist, resembling some kind of gun, and squirted a putty-like substance into the palm of its hand. I noticed that the entity had long fingernails that looked like claws. It handed the putty to me, and I was confused by the whole encounter, so I started to move away. When I turned back to look again, both the man and the object had vanished mysteriously. Later on, 
I confided the bizarre story to one of my teachers. They questioned me about the putty, which I showed them. The putty was yellowish with green flecks, about one-eighth inch thick, and roughly the size of a golf ball. It had a quite hard texture. As I was about to leave, the teacher noticed the object on the ground nearby, it seemed to have definitely shrunk in size. I put it back in my pocket, and that was the last anyone saw of it. I live in the northern end region of Germany's Black Forest and even though the region is nothing in comparison to US rural areas or even rural German areas it still has its quiet and dark roads. So I am at a school event that went on until late night, you could call it a prom kind of thing, and I take the last bus to my village at 1.36am in the town where my school is. The bus ride takes 30 minutes and we're a good 20 minutes into the ride. Aside from me, the driver and one guy who was almost at sleep the bus is empty, as the road we're driving on. It's the forest stretch right before my village and it's pitch black, nothing to see. The bus comes around a corner and in the middle of the road is a vehicle, grey Audi A3. With hazards on and both front doors open. The bus driver brakes hardly and comes to a stop right behind the car. Nobody to see, nothing to hear, just the engines running. The bus driver turns around in his seat and opens his mouth to speak when suddenly this woman comes out of the woods, running towards the bus doors. Bus driver, sleepy, or now awake, guy and I just watch as she starts to hammer against the bus doors, screaming like some kind of animal. Bus driver slams into reverse and then drives away almost slamming the driver door of the car. We speed trough the forest and at the first stop in civilization he phones the police and some of his colleagues to inform them. I still don't know what the hell was going on there, but I've heard from friends that they seen similar things, grey Audi with hazards on, in various parts of the county they and I live in. Still creeps me out and I normally try to take the bus earlier than midnight or sleep over when I'm away. On Upper Magnetic Mine Road, my friend and I, Harold Agaon, were exploring the area. As my friend decided to meditate, I decided to walk away and take in the view of the nearby reservoir. It was then that I noticed something strange, large and glowing slanted green eyes and large, hairless heads, floating through the woods several yards away. There were five of them, and I couldn't see their bodies, just their eerie heads. I called out to my friend, and she saw them too. We both stopped moving, feeling a sense of unease. I aimed my large flashlight at them, and in that very moment, the immediate scenery around us changed. Branches appeared in front of us that hadn't been there just a split second before. It was all very surreal and unnerving. A barking black dog was getting closer to us, and with fear in our hearts, we quickly ran back to our rented car. We decided to stay inside for over an hour, hoping whatever we had witnessed would go away. During that time, all we saw were raccoons crossing the road in front of us, almost like a strange parade. It was a baffling and eerie experience that stayed with us for a long time. I remember the strange case of Yabi Gistubad, who had gone missing, and later, they found him sitting in a bush, appearing to be in a stupor. When they found him, he seemed to be in good health, but the experience had left him shaken. He told us, his family members, a bizarre tale of encountering a man with a square body, whom he believed to be an alien. This mysterious man had urged him to go to a strange place. The night before his disappearance, Yabi was dressed in white and seemed to be floating just above the ground. His wife recalled touching his shirt, and it turned black before her eyes. Yabi then passed out, and the incident left everyone puzzled and worried. Then, on the 20th, he vanished again, only to be found 11 days later walking towards his home. The strange thing was that his eyes were closed, and he was communicating through sign language. His wife was the one who saw him become invisible on the second night of his disappearance, right before her eyes. It was a bewildering and unnerving experience for all of us, 
And even though Yabi was found physically fine, the whole incident left us with more questions than answers. To this day, we wonder about the true nature of the events that occurred during his disappearances and what really happened during those mysterious encounters with the square-bodied man and the strange place he was urged to go to. I was on my way home from Chester, West Virginia. With my girlfriend. We were on our T-68 between East Liverpool, Ohio and Midland, Pennsylvania. Along the Ohio River. It was in December 2010. The time was around 3 am and a thing that looked like a black angel flew in front of my truck, it was about 6 feet tall and was so close we both ducked. Whatever it was came from the river side of the road. I wanted to go to the Midland police. But my girlfriend said they would think we were crazy, we often talk about this but that was as far as it went. One time when I was heading from Chicago to St. Louis on I-55 had to pee really bad. Now I do this trip a lot so I have a routine route, but this time I was traveling late at night into the early morning. So I stopped at a rest stop to pee, which is something I never do. It was a smaller one with a little playground next to the bathrooms and vending machines. As I walked up to the bathroom, a lady was sitting at a table smoking a cigarette in very trashy clothing and gave me a hey honey. I ignored her, went to the bathroom and then headed back to my car. On the way out the same lady was sitting at the same table except this time with a 6-7 to seven year old girl who was dressed how a 6-7 or seven year old girl should dress. I put my head down and immediately called the police. Just completely creeped me out that I was most likely feet away from a child's trafficking operation. I remember one time my aunt told me this freaky story. My aunt and her friends were coming back from the club late at night and the club was located about an hour drive from home. As they were driving back on the highway they noticed a girl that was walking alongside the road. Concerned, they pulled over a couple feet in front of her and my aunt got out to go talk to the girl to see where she's heading. But when she got out the girl was gone. There was no where she could have gone since the road is surrounded by murky water on both sides. Confused and frightened, she quickly got back in the car and told them to drive. I remember the day when I was returning home from my sister's funeral, feeling utterly exhausted. As I drove, I started noticing shadows and strange movements on the road ahead, which made me feel uneasy. Deciding to take a break, I stopped at a nearby rest area. I turned off the car's engine and lay back, hoping to get some rest. The next thing I knew, I was looking down at myself inside the car. My head was back, eyes shut, and mouth wide open. To my shock, there was some kind of craft next to the car, and I saw beings holding something that emitted a beam of white light directed into my mouth. They seemed to be communicating with each other, saying things like, that she had many lessons to learn. I couldn't comprehend what was happening. The beings spoke about how I needed to experience cancer, as if it was part of some important process of learning and growth. They kept repeating phrases about the significance of these lessons I had to go through. In the midst of this bizarre encounter, I found myself conversing with a being that had soft, tan skin. The beings were humanoid in appearance, with large eyes but no hair. The next thing I knew, I was back in the car, and I continued my drive home, arriving at 3 am. The experience left me feeling shaken and confused. In the following days, I couldn't shake off the eerie feeling that something unusual had occurred during that time. Unfortunately, in the future, my fears came true, as I was diagnosed with breast cancer and underwent an operation. The memory of the encounter with those enigmatic beings haunted me during my recovery. While I managed to overcome the ordeal, the experience remains a mystery to this day, leaving me wondering about the true nature of those beings and the lessons they spoke of. I was talking on the telephone when a foul odor suddenly filled the room. 
It was a strange and unsettling scent that made me uneasy. I decided to go to my bedroom, but as I entered, I couldn't shake the feeling that someone was watching me. My instincts were on high alert, and I felt a sense of foreboding. Looking out the window, I was astonished to see an oval-shaped object with portholes, surrounded by red, green, and white lights that were revolving around it. It hovered about 100 feet above, and its diameter was an impressive 75 feet. The sight was surreal, and I was both fascinated and frightened. I immediately woke up my husband, Everett, and he saw it too. We were both taken aback by the mysterious craft in the sky. I felt the need to share this bizarre encounter with my married daughter, Mrs. Janet Emery, who lived about a mile away. The Emerys also witnessed the unusual sight, and their neighbor even saw it through binoculars, confirming its extraordinary nature. Janet went outdoors to observe more closely and saw the UFO eject a red ball, which moved in an erratic manner while the first UFO departed southward. The red ball flew just a few feet above her head, and she described it as oval with a shiny underside that resembled aluminum foil. It was larger than her cottage and yard combined. The whole experience was accompanied by the same foul odor that I had initially smelled. When I finally went to bed, the strange odor still lingered in the house. After some time, the room was suddenly filled with a brilliant white light, illuminating everything around me. It was an instant that felt like eternity. Then, as quickly as the light appeared, it vanished, leaving me startled and bewildered. Right at the foot of my bed, a globe of light, about 21 inches in diameter, materialized. Inside this globe were five beings with non-human features. They had hairless heads with oval, sunken eyes, and instead of noses, there were only slits. The most unsettling part was that they had no mouths. The communication with these beings was telepathic, and they repeated the message, we have made contact, several times. The encounter was beyond anything I could comprehend, and I couldn't contain my fear. I screamed in terror, and in an instant, the globe of light disappeared, leaving me in a state of shock. The experience left a profound impact on me, and I was so disconcerted that I sought psychiatric care for the next two years. The encounter with those enigmatic beings remains etched in my memory, a haunting and unexplainable event that still baffles me to this day. I was alone, on my way home from vacation. I was driving a pickup pulling a camper. It was after 11 pm on a summer night. I was about two hours from home but wanted to get home yet that night. I was traveling through a wooded area. It was about 50 miles of just trees on both sides of the road with an occasional house every five or so miles. I saw something move up ahead. I immediately slowed down, thinking there was a deer in the road. As I passed I saw a young woman walking on the extreme shoulder near the ditch. She was walking with traffic. She had on knee-high socks. A very short pleated type cheerleader type skirt and a halter top. She was tall with long brown hair. Since this was the middle of nowhere on a road that sees only a few cars per hour, I immediately assumed she was in some sort of trouble. Fight with a boyfriend and left stranded, car trouble etc. I was not going very fast at this point so I pulled over hit the emergency flashers, set the parking brake, grabbed the flashlight and got out and went back to see if she needed assistance. When I got to the rear of the trailer, she was gone. I shined the flashlight up and down both sides of the road, the ditches and even the tree line, but saw no one. I drove the rest of the way home with the hair on the back of my neck standing on end. The year. 1990. Desert Storm and Nelson Mandela being freed from prison. Myself and three friends, while serving in the British Army, traveled to Brighton, England for a few days of our and our holiday. The weather being particularly hot that year, we were wasting no time enjoying it. Myself and my friend Andy decided to go for a walk along Brighton Pier, famous for its amusement arcade and ice cream. 
Whilst there we got to speaking to two young German girls from Nuremberg and we hit it off immediately. They spoke broken English and we tried our best World War II movie German Commandant accents with them. For the next few hours we all laughed and joked about everything with each other and the language barrier became less of a distraction as the evening wore on. One girl was a blonde and the other a redhead. Both beautiful and way out of our league, and yet they liked us and wanted to know more about us. As we were both in the awkward teenage years, myself and Andy didn't know which girl liked who and I was just glad to get some attention from the opposite sex. After a while we all decided to meet again at the same time and place the next day. They left the pier to join friends while we waited for our other two friends to join us. The following evening, filled with nerves and apprehension, myself and Andy made our way to the pier. Standing at the entrance were these two beautiful German girls all dressed up in tight dresses waiting for us. I couldn't believe my luck. We all walked to the pier and got some food before deciding we should all go to the cinema to see Bird on a Wire starring Mel Gibson. Myself and Andy looked at each other, knowing that this would be the ideal place to find out which girl liked who. We made our way to the pier exit but at this point for the strangest reason ever, Andy walked ahead of all of us and ran across the large open road in front of us. I called him back but he continued to run toward the other side. Knowing that he was heading in the wrong direction to the cinema, I apologized to the girls and asked them to stay where they were so I could return my idiotic friend. I ran over to the other side, approximately 20 meters in width where he was standing at. I grabbed him and said, what are you doing, the cinema is this way. He could not provide any reason or rationale for his behavior. At this point we both quickly headed back to the other side of the road but to our bemusement, the girls were nowhere to be seen. This is less than 10 to 15 seconds since I spoke to them. Now if you could picture the scene at Brighton Pier. It's a long wide open road that stretches out a long distance and would require some amount of running for the girls to hide, especially running in the dresses that they were wearing. We looked everywhere for the next few hours, searching the pier pretty extensively but to no avail and eventually giving up and being annoyed with Andy. The next day at the same time, we came back to the pier to seek out the girls but they never showed up. The next day we had to leave to go elsewhere and never got the chance to speak to those two German girls from Nuremberg. Andy and me lost touch not long after that but caught up 25 years later. After a few war stories and some alcohol, the topic of Brighton came up. We discussed what happened that night. Maybe after all this time, and he would have a different view of the story that I had on it but he didn't and to this day he still felt as I did about it, spooked as hell. We both discussed, where did they go and what happened? Why did Andy walk away without reason? How could we not see them run away if that is what they decided to do? So many more unanswered questions. To this day, I don't know if those two girls from Germany are alive, dead or just part of our imagination. Or, was it something more paranormal?